Have you ever asked that question, where do I begin? Have you ever made a statement like the young lady over here did that said, I'm a mess? Have you? Is anyone? Am I the only one? <laughs> nope. I think so often we are we're blinded to our own failures. We can't see maybe what other people see. We, maybe we don't want to admit it. Maybe we're not really willing and ready to face the truth about ourselves. So before we can get to a do-over or some sort of second chance, it's almost like we need to, to admit to ourselves that we might have a problem. Do you ever feel the need for a do-over? Yeah, me too. I mean, our family plays, well, we haven't played it in a long time, but we play miniature golf because none of us in, in our household play real golf. And, uh, and, and in golf, it's called a mulligan, right? You get a do-over. Well, they, the PGA doesn't really recognize that, but apparently every, every level below that does. Now, maybe it's not in college either. But when our family would go play putt-putt golf, we'd say, hey, you get one mulligan every nine holes. And I remember me and the kids saying, can we get, can we get like nine mulligans? <laughs> we kind of had that rule that says, you know, if you, you didn't have to call the mulligan either on the first shot, you could play the whole, the entire hole. Let's say you shot a six, you could say, I'm going to start over. That, you could still do that as a mulligan. Um, you, you can see we take golf mm, to heart, but... Um, I shared with you, if you were here in the welcome, about, you know, going out the other day without long sleeve, a uh, long sleeve shirt on and cutting down a bunch of weeds in my yard and getting poison ivy. And it's like, look, if I could relive Wednesday, I would wear a long sleeve shirt. I really would. Last night, Julie says, hey, what do you want for dinner? I said, I don't know. She says, well, we got those spicy chicken sandwiches, you know, from uh, Trader Joe's. You owe me Trader Joe's. And she put it in the air fryer for me. And it came out of the air fryer, puts these fresh tomatoes out of her mom's garden on there. And I go to take a bite of this thing, like I've done many times. And I take a bite of this thing, and it scorched chicken juice that had to be mm, 400 degrees all across my face. And I'm thinking, I got poison ivy. I got chicken splatter that's burnt my face right here. And thinking, you know what, God, I'd like a do-over this week. Can, can, we, can we reverse this back? I read this, this, this quote as we get a little more serious here this week, and uh, it's by an author by the name of Brennan Manning, and he, he's written several books that, uh, that we love around here. One's called Abba's Child. The one that I happen to be reading from this week is called Ragamuffin Gospel, and, and basically the title kind of just says it all. Have you acknowledged that you're a ragamuffin? And he says, you know, in spite of the fact that Christianity speaks of the cross and redemption and sin, we're unwilling to admit failure in our life so often. Why? Partly because it's human nature's defense mechanism against its own inadequacies. And I went, holy cow. How often am I unwilling to admit a failure in my life? Especially when my wife points it out. Because I don't want to feel inadequate. And yet, if we're going to begin the path of a do-over, if we're going to begin 
to move towards a second chance, it's kind of got to start here. It's got to start with us just looking in the mirror and saying, hmm, I'm a mess. What I love about the Bible, and so often when someone challenges me on the Bible, not that that happens a lot, to be honest with you, but when people say, well, it's just all that goody two-shoe stuff, I'm like, well, you certainly haven't opened it at the beginning then. Within the first few pages, you find out that Adam and Eve, quite frankly, they're a mess. Their sons are a mess, one of them especially, as he kills his brother. And you move through the story of Noah, and you're like, Noah was a righteous man. Noah and his family went into the ark. God saved them, and, and he wiped out the rest of humanity. Noah got a do-over. And then guess what? Noah found out he was just a man, sinful as well. And then you move into Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you discover, wow, Abraham twice lied about his wife being his wife and let other kings take advantage of her. He then slept with his wife's concubine, if you will, so that he could have an heir. And God said, no, I'd promised that the heir would come through your wife. And so when you open the pages of this book, and that's just the beginning. We haven't even moved out of the book of Genesis. But as you move through it, you get to, eventually get to King David, a mighty warrior who also committed adultery and then tried to cover it up by having the woman who he slept with, her husband, he had him killed in combat. The Bible is full of people who are a mess. And yet all those people that I've listed, and many, many more, they got a do-over. Somewhere along the lines, we discover that God is a God of second chances. And yet, the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that we, we need a second chance. 1 John 1.8 says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I read this from Brendan Manning. This little sentence kind of hit me this week. God expects more failure from us than we expect from ourselves. And yet he still offers a second chance. Let me jump back to David. King David had, he didn't go out in the spring, it says, like, like kings do, like, like armies do. He didn't go out to the battle. It said he, he hung around. He stayed in his castle, his palace. And apparently the king's palace is high enough that when he can look out, he can see people on top of their homes. And he saw Bathsheba, excuse me, bathing. He thought, that's, that's nice. So he invited her to the house. He slept with her. He committed adultery with her. And then, as I said before, he had her husband killed to try and cover it up, but she was pregnant. And later on, Nathan goes to King David, and he confronts him, much like the mother did here, much like the intervention. And Nathan says, at, at great risk to Nathan's own life, if you go and approach the king, he can just have you killed. But Nathan thought it important enough because he loved King David to speak truth to him. And in doing so, he shared with him a story that you can go and read about. But he gets King David to see the mistake that he made. He gets him ultimately to say, I'm a mess. I, I, I need a do-over. And then King David, in one of the more famous psalms, Psalm 51, he pours out his heart to God. And I just want to read you a little bit of that. Verses 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. 
for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. He knew he was a mess. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teach me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. I love this line here. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. So I have a question for you again. Would you like a do-over? Do you need a do-over? So the question might be, so where do we go and find this second chance? Where, where, where can we get a do-over? I can't go back and relive Wednesday. This young lady can't go back and relive the pain in her life. She can't undo it. We can't time travel. And so what happens, though, is we, we hold on to that guilt and that shame instead of saying, I, I got I to get rid of this. Can I get rid of this? Can I have a second chance? So I can't truly go back and relive that. I can't do that over. I don't really have a mulligan. But God comes along and says, actually, you can have a do-over. You can have a second chance. Like, I, I love Justin's email that he sent out Friday, and if you didn't read it, I'll just read you the phrase that hit me. He's like, hey, where can I get a do-over? Like, where can I get one or three? Or is there a subscription service I can sign up for that will keep them coming? I can't tell you the number of times where I finally came to the acknowledgement that I was a mess in my life. Sometimes over the same issue. And the recognition that I, I need a do-over. See, God's sacrifice paid the price for yours and my, our do-overs. We actually get to have a do-over. He enables second chances, every one of them. Third, fourth, fifth chances. God did something about that. I've discovered in my journey that he always makes the first move. Sometimes I think I made the first move, like I finally moved towards him and that was it. And all along I, I come to discover, no, he is constantly calling me home. He is constantly inviting me home. Like the prodigal son's father, he's, he's surveying, he's like, is he coming home today? Is he coming home today? He wants you and I to just turn, to just come back home. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have our repentance lined up. The prodigal son had his whole, th he wasn't even really repentant. He just was like, why am I eating? Why, I can't even eat what the pigs are eating. Why don't I go home and I can at least eat like a slave, a servant in my father's house? He wasn't like, oh man, I broke my father's heart and I should go home and I should tell him how bad I feel. I mean, he tried to rehearse his little story as he came home and then his father says, uh-uh. And he embraces him and he kisses him. And he says, welcome home. 
the God of do-overs, the God of second chances. Even if our sorrow and repentance is weak, or if we still secretly desire that old life, he welcomes us home. Think about that. We don't even have to move toward him with that much of a great intention. We just have to move. Just, just move. His invitation is constant and to every one of us, always. Come home. Come home. Turn towards me. I am a God of second chances. If you open up the Bible, and I pray that you do at some point, and you, you know, I, we, we have obedience statements around here where you pick out a passage and you, you, know, you live it out, you try to be obedient to it during the week, and that's very good. It's actually changed and challenged my life in the last five to six years that we've been doing more of that. But there's also some benefit of just knowing the overall story of the Bible, and it takes some time to see that as you read through it. And you begin to see that all of those people, all those leaders of our faith, if you will, all of them were a mess, and all of them got a second chance. And some of them got more than a second chance. They got a second chance, and another second chance, and another chance. And I wonder if you feel like you're worthy of a second chance. So often I think we, we get to this place where we think, yeah, but you just don't know me, Sean. You don't know what I've done. Yeah, I do. Because I know what I've done. And I've sat with many men and women over the years during my faith journey who have shared with me stuff that they thought could not be forgiven, could not have a second chance from. And guess what? God offers it to them anyways. And they can rejoice and they can receive joy because they can just move towards God and he will rush in. He will embrace you and he will call you forward. Have you accepted his invitation to come home? And if not, what, what's holding you back? And, and however you answer that second question, it's hard to ask for help. No one likes to ask for help. But until you ask for help, or at least admit to another friend that you're a mess, you, you can't be helped sometimes. So I encourage you to ask for help. The church and, and the people that make up the church that is the church. We're not to be judgmental, but we're broken and sinful people, and at times we can be. But I can promise you this, that if you would reach out, if you're in that place, like, I don't know where to go, I just want to take a step, I want to move towards God, I don't know what to do, we will help you. We will not judge you. We are broken people too. So what are you waiting for? I thought about this this week. I thought, Sometimes I feel like I'm on a prodigal treadmill. <laughs> maybe, I should, maybe I should make a brand of treadmill called the prodigal. Where it's just like, I'm running back home. <laughs> oh my gosh, I ran away again. <laughs> Turn it around. Maybe, I, maybe it ought to have a reverse. I don't know. That's, that's how my silly mind works at times. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Peter came to him, to Jesus, and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times, Peter says. I mean, seven times. If someone wronged you five times, would you go the sixth? Peter says, oh, seven. Is that, a good, is that a good number? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Seventy times seven. Now, for you math wizards out there, that's 490. Now, listen. I don't think Jesus 
thinks that on the 491st time that someone's offends you, that you're supposed to say, that's it. You did it. 491. I'm going to put that number, you know, in my calendar. I'm going to look at it every day so that if you hit 491, you're done. I think Jesus was saying, listen, I will always forgive you. All you have to do is turn to me. And you don't even have to be that intentional about it. Just recognize that you're a mess. Just acknowledge that you have a need for me in your life. And I will always give you a second chance. And then he expects us to do the same. I thought about this. No quantity or severity of sin can keep you away from God's grace. <laughs> Nothing. No mistake or failure that's too bad, as you might think, or, or too numerous, or you're back there again. None of that can keep you away from God's grace. He's already offered it. He's already hung his son on a cross to demonstrate his love and his offer of grace and forgiveness. You just have to turn. Justin Talley, who's on staff here, and he speaks up here as well from time to time, he shared something with me this week that I kind of just need to continue to ponder this week, and I thought I'd share it with you. He said, when you, when you do turn, when you, when you begin to accept that invitation that God has given you in Jesus, you become justified in Christ. And I thought, okay, yeah, I mean, basically, like Jesus, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. I'm justified by what he did on the cross. I can't do it myself. I can't earn God's love. God gave it to me. I'm justified. You're justified. And then he said, it's justified, never done it. Do you hear the play on the word? It's justified, never done it. And it reminded me of the passage that says, as far as the east is from the west, God doesn't look at our sin. That's how far our sin is from us. He separates it from us. It's like they don't touch. They don't connect. Somehow when he looks at us, he sees his son. And I think that... I, I don't, I, I want to explain that, God. He's like, you can't, but I offer it to you. Have you wrestled with the humility? I thought about this. Have the humility to surrender to him often so that his grace and forgiveness washes over you regularly. Humility is not something I like to wear. <laughs> humility is not something I like. You can ask my friends. You can ask my, my wife, my kids. I can be a prideful little person. And yet God says, you know, the first movement is a movement of humility and acknowledging you're a mess, and I will give you a second chance. So let's say you take that step. What are you going to do with your second chance? What are you going to do with it? Life's mistakes and failures come at you from a dip, lot, different perspectives. In other words, you can, you can take your mistakes and you can... Use them in one of two ways, in my opinion. You can, you can use them as a club, and you can try to just beat yourself with them, and you can relive the guilt and the shame, and like, I shouldn't have done that, and I shouldn't have done that. Or you could use it as a tool that says, what can I learn from that? God gave me a second chance. I get a do-over. How can I live differently? What can I learn from my past I'm going to read you another passage from Brendan Manning or another little snippet. He says, There is no growth in Christ Jesus without some difficulty 
and fumbling. If we are going to keep on growing, we must keep on risking failure throughout our lives. None of my failure in faithfulness have proved terminal, he wrote. None of his failures proved terminal. There is no failure that we can make that proves terminal. God can always give us a second chance. And I think a lot of us are walking around today, and I'm one of them many times in my life, and, and not so much this last week, but the week before. We walk around just beating ourselves up over our failures and our mistakes. Or we allow others to beat us up. And some people do it in the, in the vibe of spirituality. Like you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like, well, God, I think, tells you to not judge me. So you must be living in self-righteous land, and I haven't found the path to that. Oh, but then, and then I do find the path to that, and then I can be self-righteous and judgmental with the next person. I'm a mess. Are you a mess? Don't live so that God will love you. Live because he loves you. I have discovered time and time again, we have, a, we have a movement here. We have a journey here at Shoal Creek called the movement from earner to heir. And there's this mindset that if you get real, real religious or you say, I, okay, I've never done really a lot of bad things, that I can earn God's favor. I can earn his love. And we say hogwash. You can't. The Bible clearly states, no, you're a mess. But that movement from earning and trying to do right and even trying to do religious things or spiritual things to moving to the, I'm an heir in his family. I don't have to live so he loves me. I get to live because he loves me. And there's a big difference. And that is a movement of a lifetime. Several years ago, this, my wife reminded me of this this morning. And we were just talking as before I left. And I, I love to take my, my, my message, if you will, and run it by my wife. And I've done that more and more because she has some great intuition and just wisdom about our life our lives and she has a better memory than me and and uh but she told me this she goes don't you remember the do-over that you got and i'm like which one <laughs> hoping she wouldn't pick some of the worst ones but she did pick one that i remember distinctly once she brought it up and a few years ago we went out to see the eagles out at smithville lake now mind you our kids are 27 and 24 now and they were probably 10 and 7. And we are driving out in the Montana. That's a cool name for a minivan that someone thought, and I bought it. But we're driving out, and we're kind of where uh, the new theater is in, I say new, the theater is in Liberty now. And we're about to turn left onto 152, and we have the classic argument that maybe a lot of couples have, which is, hey, where do you want to get breakfast? Now, I will eat just about anything but sushi, and most seafood. So seafood's out for me. Other than that, I'm pretty open. Julie, eh, she's a little pickier. And I think that's fair to say. No, no, you know, you know what? Let's be double honest. She is really picky at times. So I say, I don't care. Where do you want to eat? Oh, I don't care. So as soon as she says that, me being the smart person that I can be at times with her, I immediately throw the Taco Bell right in her face. Let's, let's hit Taco Bell because I know she hates Taco Bell. This is probably before they serve breakfast. I don't know. Well, the, the, the volleying started. And Julie wasn't being that mean. I was. And it was back and forth. And finally, I blew a gasket. 
I, I don't know how to describe how fast I whipped that Montana around. You'd have thought it, it was a Lamborghini or something. Right in the middle of 152, long before the bridge and all that craziness is there now, I spun that thing around and drove back home, and I was, I was upset. I was angry. And it was quiet. And from the back of the van, I hear my son say, Dad, why are you so angry all the time? I'm not angry all the time. I drove home, I parked the van, I got out, I went upstairs, I got in my bed. I got in like the fetal position because I was like, God, what are you doing to me? I was awakening to his presence in my life. I was reading a book uh, at the time called Silence of Adam, which do not read alone, men. It's now called Men of Courage. But it rocked my world, and I allowed my anger just to spew out. But I sat there for a little bit, and I got, felt God speaking to me, and he says, I love you right now. You're a mess. And I sat there and thought about it and prayed about it. And I finally went downstairs and I apologized to my family because they were stunned sitting in the van in the driveway like, well, should we go in? And, and God gave me an immediate do-over that day. We then got in the van. We said, where do you want to eat? We got something to eat. We went out and saw the Eagles of Smithville Lake. And Julie reminded me of that this morning. Now, that's not the, that's, that was an immediate do-over. If I'm honest, if I could go back and I could not blow the gasket, I would. So many people have told me, well, I, I wouldn't change a thing in my life. I'm like, well, mm, I would. Now, I will say this. A lot of times through our failures and our mistakes, often we can learn more than if we don't have those. But I thought about this in these words. I thought about failure. Hopefully you can let it lead to forgiveness, which can lead to forgetting which could lead to moving forward. Failure, forgiveness, forgetting, I forgot it, and forward. If you'd put the passage up, Jeff, from Philippians 3, this is Philippians 3, 10 through 14, and Paul was writing to the little church in Philippi. And a lot of the second half of the Bible, Paul wrote, and it was simply letters that he wrote to these churches. This happened to be the church in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. But it's, it says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. I find that interesting. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. You have to die to live. You have to fail to get up. How can we ever learn to get up if we never fail? I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. And then here's the thing that I love about Paul. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. And I shortened up my four words to just failing forward. Can we learn to fail forward? We can learn from the past, but if we focus on the past, if we try to relive the past, if we think we can go back and do it over, we really can't. But God gives us this strange, crazy do-over, second-chance thing by saying, look, you can fail, you can receive forgiveness, I have forgot it, you should too, 
Let's move forward. How do you do with that? Do you find it easy to fail? Do you set out on your day, you're like, you know what, today I think I'm going to mess up three times. I mean, we don't. But through the course of our lives, we are going to fail. And so much of my life, I hated to fail. Because somewhere in that failure, I felt like, I, I discovered this more in my 30s and later, that I, I, I felt unloved. That somehow when I failed, when I didn't succeed, when I didn't win, when I didn't beat everybody at a com- competitive, some sort of competition or sport, I, I had to win. I had to win. And when I failed, I felt unloved. I understood that now, not then. And God comes along and he just rocks my little boat and says, <laughs> look at all the people who have failed. And they've been given second chances. And you need a second chance, Sean. You need to fail forward. You need to start to understand, because I don't know that it's completely um, understandable by us humans, God's grace and his forgiveness. I don't think when we say the word unconditional love that we really understand what that can mean. Because even as human beings, with those you love the most in your life, the truth is you don't love them with an unconditional love. You might think you do, but it doesn't compare to God's unconditional love. So much so that he put his son on a cross for us so that we could make mistakes and be forgiven and forget about them and move forward. And I think then God comes along here and says, okay, let's say that you've taken advantage of these second chances I offer you. Let's say that you've come to an understanding of who I want to be in your life. You've turned towards me. You've accepted my offer of grace and forgiveness. Whatever that means, you're, you're, you're moving towards me. You're living that out. You're, you're starting to process forgiveness. You're starting to be willing to take risks so that you make mistakes, but know that that doesn't define you. I do. And then here's the craziest thing, and this is the hardest part, in my opinion, as if some of that's not already hard. He says, now I want you to go and do likewise. So my question is, who in your life deserves a second chance? Who do you know that needs a do-over? Two thousand and seven. My stepdad Tony, at the time, he passed away, and this was the man that raised me. And at his celebration of life, um, I spoke a few words. And I shared three different things, and I won't bore you with the other two, but the one thing I shared was, when I was 17 years old, my, my birth father and I had a major blow-up. And I said some things, and he said some things, and some, uh, I won't say punches, but a punch was thrown that hit me, and it was tough. And I was pissed. And I was 17. And I got in my buddy's car and drove home from Blue Springs. And by the time I got home, my dad had called my mom and said, I I don't want anything to do with that boy ever again. He took me off this and that and the wheel and whatever. 
And I just kind of shunned it off because guess what? I was pretty good at that. Didn't really bug me. I'm good. I don't need anybody. And Tony <laughs> waited about two weeks or a month. I don't remember exactly the time frame. And he wrote me a letter. And the gist of it was, you cannot go through your life without having a relationship with your father. Now, this is my stepdad, who I thought would say, he's a piece of, let him go. And he, because of Christ in his life, he said, no, that's not going to be good for you. And he said, so you're going to have to make the first step, because I do know your father, and you're actually very similar to your father in your stubbornness. You're going to have to make the first step. And so I did. Oh, man, I fought it. I don't know how to tell you how much I fought it. I'm like, I don't want to call because I know what's going to happen. And I did. I got the on the phone. And then when I drove up there, we saw each other in person. I got more of that. And I had this, even though we did reconcile, there was this thing in me as I went to college very soon after that and kind of started my adult life that I did not really need to engage my dad. But at my stepdad's funeral, after I said that story, afterwards, as people were coming through the line and talking to my mom and my brothers and I and family, my dad looks at me and says, we still have time. Now, we were both emotional at that moment. And I kind of just, I, I took it in and I processed it a little bit later. But to be honest with you, it was a couple years probably that I held a lot of anger towards God and others, and especially my, my, my birth father, because I had lost my stepdad who raised me and loved me. And here's where I'm going with this. this. This was God speaking to me somewhere. And again, I don't get some audible thing like I hear God going, Sean, you know, it's an internal thing. And I felt him say, you know, you know that second chance and second chance and second chance and all the second chances I've given you in life? Yeah, yeah, God. I've made some big mistakes, big mistakes in my marriage, big, big mistakes in my parenting, big, big mistakes with lust and pornography, big mistakes with anger, with self-righteousness, with judgmentalism, and that's just the six that I can remember right now, folks. And God says, you remember those? Yeah. You remember those don't define you? Yes, Lord. He goes, then, then neither does your father's. So if you want a relationship with him, you're going to have to do what your stepdad Tony told you to do when you were 17. You're going to have to move towards him. And so I did, reluctantly at first. And then my dad and I, we have a great relationship now. It's getting better. It's still not that father-son thing. I don't know that it ever will be what I dreamed of as a 10-year-old boy. But it's good. And my dad deserves second chances, not only from me, but certainly from the Lord, more importantly. So who in your life do you just need to think about needs a second chance? Who needs a do-over? How are we going to fail forward? Acknowledge your failure. Accept his gift of grace and forgiveness. Turn towards God. See how much he loves you. Begin to explore this book to realize, wow, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Not only, not only this book, but as you begin to explore one another's lives in what we call groups around here or smaller communities, you discover we are all messed up. I remember when I had that first realization in one of the first small groups I attended. I'm like, you guys are a mess. And me too, I guess. 
And then it was like, no, I'm a mess, and you probably are too. And yet, what do you do with that mess? You can't undo it, but you can offer it. And God says, yep, I'll forgive that. Let's move forward. Let's forget that. Let's learn from that, but let's forget it. How do we fail forward? Would you pray with me? God, I'm thankful. That seems really odd to say sometimes. I'm thankful for the failures in my life. Your word says, for in your weakness, my strength is made even stronger. And so, God, I pray for all of us here today that we could admit that we're a mess. We could admit that to a close friend or a family member. We could tell someone, hey, you know what? I, I need some help. I want to understand more of what God wants to do in my life and who Jesus wants to be in my life, and I, I could use some help. And we could learn that we, we have a God of do-overs. <laughs> You're a God of the second chance, and third, and fourth, and so on. And that as we begin to internalize that and really let that to soak into our lives, we could understand that we can offer the same thing to others. And that their big mistakes wouldn't define them any more than ours do. And we could reach out to them and help them have a do-over. Begin again. God, thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice that he made. Thank you for the spirit moving in our lives. We pray that you would just gnaw at us and help us to move towards you. And to realize you are a God of second chances. And you offer that over and over. Amen.